Welcome to Health Matters at Sargent College. The mission of Sargent College is to advance, preserve, disseminate, and apply knowledge in the health and rehabilitation sciences. BU's Sargent College strives to create an environment that fosters critical and innovative thinking to best serve the healthcare needs of society. Each episode of Health Matters at Sargent College will include faculty, students, or alumni who will share their knowledge with you. I'm Karen Jacobs, the Associate Dean of Digital Learning and Innovation at Sargent College, and I'll be your moderator for each episode. Well, the next person who is on an episode of Health Matters is someone I've known for a very long time, um, 21 years, in fact, um, Jennifer Kaldenberg. Jen, welcome to Health Matters. Thanks so much for having me. So I was going back in time reminiscing, and so the first time I met you, your two of your boys were little, and then you were pregnant with another one. Yes, and they're not so little anymore. They're how, how old are they now? 25, 22, and 19. Wow. Your career has <laughs> blossomed since you've had your three sons. So I'd love you to share, how did you get involved in low vision? Because that's really your area of expertise internationally. Sure. So I started my career working in neurorehabilitation, and I always was fascinated with their... Um, visual and visual perceptual challenges that they were being they were facing and I always sought out continuing education and sort of just kind of delved into the area of visual impairment um, more towards neurovisual impairment but then my first son was born prematurely and had retinopathy of prematurity so I was also from a personal experience um, interested in what kind of solutions there were to help people who had visual impairment and blindness. So for people that don't understand what that is, can you explain how what that, what that is? Sure. So there's a range of visual function from what we, what we would say is normal vision, what you go to the eye doctor and you look at the big E chart, and it's 20-20. So that's quote-unquote normal vision. And then the other extreme is complete blindness, and that's not seeing any light. Um, there's a range of visual impairment from normal vision to complete blindness, and there are sort of classifications sort of along that continuum. There's a definition called low vision, which is categorized as having visual acuity of 2070 or worse, and that's best correction, so wearing your glasses and under the best circumstances you don't see that um, 2020 line um, as what would someone who had quote-unquote normal vision would. There's also the definition of legal blindness and a lot of people get um, confused about what that means and legal blindness is just a category by the Social Security Administration um, and it's 2200 or worse visual acuity. So there's a lot of remaining vision, a lot of usable vision, but they're um, still having significant impairment as a result of their decline in their vision. So there's a lot to know about vision. Yes. And it all started with your son. Mm -hmm. And what, what 
actually is his challenge with vision? So he has, um, he lost vision in one of his eyes from a retinal detachment. Um, and that had to do with oxygen exposure as a little one. And he has what's categorized as low vision in his remaining eye. So I think there's a big difference between how my son grew up with a visual impairment versus an older adult who acquires a visual impairment. So my son doesn't know any different. He never had um, what quote-unquote normal vision. So he's always learned to adapt to his situation and um, does very well with the vision that he has. He does, however, you know, he doesn't drive. So that's a big barrier to him. But in his day-to-day, his vision um, doesn't necessarily impair him significantly. But for an older adult who acquires a visual impairment, there's a significant challenge. Um, and although many children who have acquired visual impairment also have challenges, but I think oftentimes it's really difficult for someone who had quote unquote normal vision and then to acquire a visual impairment, they're always looking back and wanting it to be like it was before, where my son doesn't know what it's like to have quote unquote normal vision. So thank, thank you for explaining that. So as an occupational therapist, um, how do you work with people who, we'll say older adult, um, with low vision? Uh, do you do a home assessment, go to their home and, and analyze that? What, what, what might you do? So most typically I do work in a client's home, their natural context, and figure out what is really important for them to be able to do in their everyday lives. So I would interview them and figure out what they really need to be able to do. Um, and I would try different solutions. We often use a problem-solving strategy to figure out what will work in their specific circumstances. We do sometimes see people in the clinic, but most often um, I would see them in their home and then set up specific areas where they're going to do a specific task. And that often is the easiest way to do it. So um, can you give us an example of going into someone's home and maybe some suggestions that you might make in their activities of daily living? And we'll, we'll pick cooking because I came here hungry today <laughs> and I keep thinking about food. Sure. So there's a lot of things that we can do to help people remain independent and safe in their, in their kitchen. So there's often... Um, sort of uh, categories of intervention. I always say if there's one thing that we can do for any older adult with visual impairment or without visual impairment is improve lighting. With aging, we need more lighting as compared to someone who's younger. Are you looking we just, at me? We just need, <laughs> need more lighting. I'm looking at myself as well. Um, as we age, there's just normative changes that require additional lighting. And that's to, you know, just for safe mobility in the home. Then we can look at a lot of times we're working with ophthalmologists and optometrists to find different strategies, optical strategies, um, to get people to see as best they can. So sometimes I would be working with an optometrist or an ophthalmologist to make sure that they were in their best correction, so the best pair of glasses, so we set up the environment as best possible. We also might try different magnifiers or different optical and non-optical strategies. Um, then we might look at environment, so looking at contrast and like making things bigger and brighter and bolder can be really, really helpful. Um, so we would just look at the specific tasks, 
get lots of different strategies that may or may not be helpful for that individual, and then problem solve together what works best. Yeah, that's great. And there's a lot of evidence literature out there to support that kind of strategy as well. And we know as in occupational therapy, we're always looking at the evidence literature being client-centered and then occupation-focused. And so it sounds like that's the strategy that, that you're doing. Yes. You're helping to build the workforce on occupational therapists who have expertise in low vision. Can you share that initiative that you're doing? And it, I guess you applied it in your doctoral studies, too, because that was the focus of your doctoral um, dissertation. Sure, absolutely. So after I, um, I worked for the New England College Optometry and the New England Eye Institute, and in that um, role, I taught optometrists the functional implications of visual impairment and blindness. And I also worked with OTs in the community um, to gain additional skills to focus specifically on working with older adults with visual impairment and blindness. Um, and I continued to work with an organization called MAB Community Services and building their skills and knowledge in uh, helping those in the community uh, function as independently and safely as possible. Um, I also, um, as you said, Karen, um, working with the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind um, uh, in my dissertation work and really kind of trying to think about a model of service delivery to um, maximize sort of the reach of all service providers of that focus on working with older adults with visual impairment and blindness. So you've been sharing your area of expertise, and you are you know internationally renowned. You're a professor at Boston University, and you're the level two academic fieldwork co coordinator as well as the capstone coordinator. So um, I'm going to ask you, for those who don't know what level one, level two, actually, your level two field work is, what, what is that? Sure. So at the end of the curriculum, our occupational therapy students complete full-time uh, field work experiences or clinical rotations. These are 12-week full-time experiences in a variety of practice settings. And this is to develop entry-level proficiency in a particular area of practice. So our students at Boston University complete two level two placements, so 24 weeks total, so um, 12 in one area of practice and 12 weeks in another area of practice. We try to focus on very broad uh, areas and so to support their learning um, because the end goal for our students is to pass the national board exam. So we wanna make sure that they have broad experiences that sort of um, support that board exam. And they do very well in our in our program, um, which is wonderful, and it speaks to, you know, you and the placement and the hardworking students um, as as well. So there, you have over 700 contracts of people um, and facilities all over the United States. And people who are listening may get excited about being another field work site please contact me yeah give them your give them your email address so they can <laughs> i'd love to talk to you my email is jenmk at bu.edu that's great so now that's one role you have another hat that you're wearing um and you know we use all this different types of terminology what's a capstone in an entry-level occupational therapy program what does that mean sure so a capstone is sort of that final um, 
doctoral project at the very end of the curriculum. So students have already done all of the didactic work and they've done their level two fieldwork placement. And the final doctoral work is this capstone. And the capstone includes both an experiential component, which is 14 weeks in an area of practice, and a, an associated project. So we tend to have students complete um, their capstone in one of five areas. So the capstones um, can be advanced clinical practice, so a very focused, narrow area of practice. We have um, program development and evaluation. We have education. So education could be education to clients, clinicians, or you know developing coursework for future students. Um, research, so our students sometimes work in the research labs of the, um, the tenure track faculty at Boston University or the clinical minds faculty as well, or out in um, one of our sites that might have a clinical question that they need help, student help with answering that question. And the last is advocacy and policy. So we've had students out on the Hill um, advocating for OT services. Um, so yeah, those are the general five areas that our students do their capstones in. That's great. So I'm gonna just go back to, thank you very much, and you do um, so much because we have a lot of students in our program. Yes, and growing. And growing, our program is growing. Um, I want to go back to low vision just for a minute because I didn't ask you or share that you have a low vision course. Yes. Um, that's available to occupational therapists. And um, if people go to our website or actually reach out to you and they, they know your email, they can get some more information about that, uh, that course. Sure. And the course is really um, meant for um, practicing OTs. Um, I feel like um, any OT working with an older adult is working in low vision. So we all need to have a basic level of knowledge related to assessment and intervention in um, working with older adults. And so no matter where you're practicing, if it's home health or if it's inpatient acute care, you're going to interact with people who have visual impairment and you need to have some basic knowledge to be able to provide the best services possible. And your course um, gives you that background, which is it's, it's a, a really fabulous course. So I hope people who are listening who are interested um, will reach out to you. So before we can conclude, I'm trying to have um, our faculty, staff, alumni, and students share what they do outside of Sargent College. And um, I know that you're painting now, and that's one of your meaningful occupations. Yes, I'm trying. <laughs> I've, yeah, I saw some of your work. It looks beautiful. Well, it's paint by number. <laughs> but no one would ever know that. You didn't have to disclose that because <laughs> they look beautiful. <laughs> I'm working towards other other art as well. But yes, right now we're doing our paint, paint by numbers for adults. For adults, yeah. And that actually has become very popular. But, um, you know, that's a meaningful occupation for you. And I think that's really important as we talk about, you know, what we need to do besides, you know, our role as a worker. And I, I love that. I, I like doing glass. So, you know, the same thing. I, maybe I'll do the paint by numbers, too. It sounds very exciting. And I've seen very your, fun. Well, I've seen your paintings and they are beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Anyhow, Jen, thanks for being on Health Matters. And I hope people who uh, listen to today's episode, reach out to Jen if they have questions about low vision. And please think about Sargent College and, and Jen as a, a resource for you. So thank you again. Thank you.